Welcome to episode 54 of Dealer Process Secrets Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Sterling Brown. What's happening, man? And my name's Philip Cheatham. Oh, yeah. We're ready to get into it. Uh, I think it's one of your favorite topics, so I'm here ready. Let's go. I don't think I'm going to stop talking about this for a while. So uh, if you don't like the topic of improving the lives inside the dealership, then you're probably not going to like listening to this podcast for, I don't know, the next 20 episodes. Who knows? Uh, But for now, that is what I want to continue discussing. I want to do another subtopic on improving the process. And we, we discussed before improving the lives inside the dealership, improving the relationships inside the dealership as the subtopic, and today, improving the lives, improving the process. Uh, so how that even impacts the relationships, we can get into that. So uh, just coming off of the last uh, show, uh, what you got, man? Uh, process is, is so important. Get, get, mean- deep, get deep with us, though, Sterling. Well, look, my, my favorite thing about a process, is it helps identify where you are. If you've ever been in a shopping mall and you're looking at a map, and if let's say you're at the Mall of, of America, right? I would, I've never been, but I imagine it's probably the largest mall, one of the largest malls. And the first thing you have to do is you have to identify where you are. You can't find anything until you find out where you are. And that's what processes help you do. So if you have a process and something happens – Look at your process. Maybe it's a five step. Maybe it's a 10 step, whatever it is. Say, am I anywhere on my process right now? No, you're either outside your process or you're in the middle of your process. So if somebody is outside the process and you realize that that's an opportunity to bring them inside your process and start them off on step one. If step one is the meet and greet and somebody walks in and you have no idea what they're there for and they just start talking about, I'm $5,000 upside down on my trade and so-and-so, Tommy was the guy I talked to and you don't even have a Tommy that worked there. You got to stop what they're doing and you, be polite, but you got to say, listen, hey, I'm going to help you out. Let them know you're going to help them out. Not, I'm going to try. I'm going to help you out. First thing I need to know is, and then you start at the beginning and then you put them in their process and you go from there. That's my favorite thing about these processes is that it helps you identify where you are so that way you know where you need to go. My favorite example of a process, I put it in my book, and this is just how, you know, when you really have a process, how it, how it will operate. And my favorite example of a process is I have a deal. And it's from the dealership that me and you both worked in. It's still running that way. I was taught that in 2004, literally to walk into the sales desk, say, I have a deal, put your card on the table and walk out and go sit with your customer. And then a closer is going to come out and talk to them. This was 2004. And I was taught this. And of course, the first time I ever did it, I walked in and, you know, I made a fool of myself basically and went and sat down with my customer because uh, the way the process was enforced was I go up there and I'm like, I'm at, you know, and I was going back and forth in my head, man. I was sitting there just thinking, oh, do, uh, you know, do I, do I not sit, do I do this? I have a deal thing or do I tell them what I think is really important because the customer had told me, oh, if I don't get 10 grand for my Jaguar, I'm walking out. And as the wife's like, he'll do it, you know, so don't tell, you better tell him I need 10 grand for my Jaguar. Right. So 
I'm like, oh man, what do I do? And I even went to look for the sales trainer that we did have. So I, I had great training, thankfully, at my first dealership that I actually invested in. I'd been at a dealership for like a week at one time before that and didn't whatever, my driving record, whatever it was, clean that up when I went and, and had gotten this position. So anyway, I go in there and I'm like, no, they got to know this. So I'm like, uh, this guy says that he needs 10 grand for his trade. And just the looks on the two faces from sitting behind the sales desk looked like I had, I mean, it looked like I had come in there and just like, I don't know, man, like started getting naked or something. Like they looked at me like I was like out of my mind. And uh, the desk manager, general sales manager at the time picks up the phone and he's like, so-and-so sales desk. And the guy comes in and he's like, you can't teach these guys to say two effing words uh, three F and words, four F and words. I don't know, man, what's wrong with you. I have a deal because the process was you bring your guest card in, you lay it on the table. You say, I have a deal and you walk out. And today Sterling, you know, the dealership you've worked there. Uh, you walk in there and you stand by that sales office. What is happening with the, uh, salespeople at that dealership? What are they doing? One after the other. Following the process. No, what are they doing, man? Were you listening to me, Sterling? You're over there not listening to me. So you know where I'm talking about. I have a deal process. If you go stand by the sales desk, what do you see people doing? Walking in, doing what, saying what? What are they doing? See, this is how people know that this is not scripted. We don't script any of our shows. Uh, so they walk in this, the door, do they not? They go, I have a deal. They put their guest card down. They walk out and one after the other, one after the other, and nothing else is said. If you stand there, will, yes. you, will you watch that? Like you'll watch 20 of them do it two times on a Saturday. Yes. That's like clockwork. That's a process, man. And that's because, and it's been there for all this time before me predates 2004. I think it was 2002. They switched over to that system. But, uh, so it's been there almost 20 years and just the implementation of that. And that's how a process should work. So let's talk about another process. When you do the same thing on every deal, when you do the same thing every way now here, you don't want your people and this is where you want your people to be able to think. Okay. So if something goes outside your process, a customer doesn't fit into it. You don't want to ever say, Oh, well, this is the rules that I'm supposed to follow like a robot. If you ever catch yourself saying that that's when it's time to somewhat maybe veer outside of the process or maybe, maybe make it just sound and look a little different, uh, address the concerns and stay inside of the process. A great example of that is, you know, a customer walking in, on any good, decent sales process and saying, I want to appraise my trade before I look at a car. Okay, well, if you want to sell us your car, we'll put a number on it. If you're here to look at a car, why don't we have our used car manager look at it while you go take a drive with uh, Brian right now, right? And send Brian out to take him in a, in, a, in a test drive while you give him a number on their car, find the car, right? I'll have a great number for you. Don't worry. You know, you try that one time. No, I'm going to sit here and wait for a number. Okay, they sit there and wait for a number. You don't go, no, we don't do that here, right? Now, are you going to have that in your process where you're giving out uh, trade numbers before, uh, uh, you know, you, you try to write up a deal or have them test drive or look at something you have? 
hell no. I mean, you want to buy people's cars right now, hundred percent. So if all they want to do is sell the car, you're doing that anyway. Uh, but you know, are you, are you here to look at a car? Yeah, but I want to, you know, I'm just giving you guys an example. So the, you can absolutely think outside of processes, but a process should operate that way. And what's so interesting about that process that I love so much about it is there is no valid information that you actually want your closer to have. You want your closer to go out the same way every time. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so not pooped out because they think the tr- they're upside down on the trade, not knowing. I mean, they're still going to be looking around, trying to sniff the deal out and see what they got. Uh, but you know, you want them to go out there fresh and the way that that operates is, uh, is, is quite impressive. Uh, so, but your finance turnover process, um, that can be just as tight. You're, uh, making sure everybody drives before they sit down process. That can be just as tight getting your guys to do tons of sit downs. You do that with certain incentives. I mean, there's so many different, it's all in the processes of, what the expectations are and the way that you're supposed to do things. And when this happens, you go that way. Uh, that really is going to dictate so much ease in what you're doing. So people are coming to work to make money. We talked about that when we talked about relationships, improving the relationships inside the dealership. Uh, so but if we're all going to make money together, it's going to be a lot easier to have better relationships together. Right. Even if we're fighting people over gross in different departments, even if, you know, even if that stuff, which you also want to do, you want to compete, uh, you want to make the deals as big as possible. Uh, you're going to do that. So let's get into uh, Sterling. Talk to us about uh, the relationship between finance and the sales desk. I've had a couple of different uh, relationships when it comes to how they want that done. And, um, you know what? There's some places that I didn't really agree with it. And um, I still actually believe in the having a process versus not having a process. So I've worked in places where it was more towards not having a process and places where there was a bad process in place. Now, I actually prefer the bad process in place because it still allows you to identify where things go wrong. If you don't have a process, it's just very hectic. Things are going to go wrong and you're not really going to know. Well, what, what process are you talking about? What, what process are you talking about? The turnover? Still, yeah, so still, I'm yeah, talking the, about the, we were on relationship. Yeah. The relationship yeah. between the sales desk and finance, right? So a lot of like, there's been a place where I worked and the sales desk did not want finance in the desk area, hanging out, sniffing around deals, so on and so forth. But another place I worked actually encouraged the finance to hang out around the desk and they didn't view it as you sniffing around looking for a good deal. It was using the finance manager as a closer. Now that store didn't have closers. The other store did have closers. So again, there's processes in place from a bigger picture. And a lot of times there's a reason why, sometimes there's not. But I was just saying in general, whether the sales desk wants you there or doesn't want you there, it, there's still an opportunity for a relationship. Well, so, if, uh, if you want to have a real finance department, you want them looking at the deals that you're while you're doing them. And I've heard, I've heard that all the time. I don't want my finance guys knowing the deals and this, that, and the other. And I, I've seen it work. I've seen it be successful, but uh, if you want to have, you know, a healthy, strong finance department um, that doesn't, you know, basically doesn't have the boot of the sales desk on their neck 
then you should absolutely be doing the latter that you were speaking of, which is encouraging finance to be at the sales desk, um, encouraging finance to want to close at a minimum, be understanding uh, and up to date with what's happening up to the minute, you know, a desk log, right? Um, That's what I do. That's what I'm a big believer in. So at least if it's a Monday and the guy's got 12 deals to pack, let's say, because, you know, that's, that's uh and and get deal make sure deals are getting bought package them and send them out and that kind of thing um and you you start to get busy on a monday well if he can watch and at least know hey okay that person's over there got declined i want to send that to a secondary lender uh, maybe i should go out there and talk to this guy and stop what i'm doing okay there are no deals okay there are working deals okay what's going on with this deal um even if they're mentally preparing in my opinion because i get the argument you, you don't want them mentally preparing Uh, poorly, but I'm kind of against that, especially with all the different tools that we should have available, uh, financing, you know, we, we work with this a lot, right? So financing, uh, the, uh, uh, backend products outside of the deal, the deals caps being able to finance them for, um, a VS, uh, C or, uh, any other product, right. A maintenance program or something like that outside of the deal, Um, you know, the finance manager, if you're just throwing a deal at them, oh, these people need to go. Okay. So they have to put all the deal together. They got to remember the whole deal. And then on top of that, they got to start to get creative and use all their tools. Okay. So if this guy's a cash deal, um, I, you know, beforehand I would have been like, okay, so I need to try to do a one pay lease. Okay. If it's on a new car. Maybe even I have a used car lease program and a used car one pay lease program, right? So back in that office, you want them to have as much information as possible and getting negatively crapped out. It's not a bad thing because I'm like, oh man, this deal's maxed out. Oh, it's another one of these. I'm going to have to do this. But then what I start to do is I actually start to mentally prepare for that deal. Okay, maybe I can finance something outside of the deal and do a payment plan. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. Um, So uh, that's, I'm totally against that. Um, what you're talking about, I worked in a dealership that operated very well and they didn't want any finance people anywhere near the sales desk. Um, so I, but I'm against it. I, I don't think that's the, that's the proper way. Definitely not the proper way to have good relationships. Um, we didn't even get into the turnover process. That's huge. Uh, you've got to have some sort of process. And if it's, if it's, uh, the old school, you know, hey, that's the guy that's going to be doing your paperwork. Wait over here and watch Seinfeld with my competitors' commercials on the TV. Um, you know, or wait over here and sit over here. That's like it's just an awful process, man. Um, uh, if you're of any size dealership, I mean, I've seen buy here, pay here stores that have a guy doing the detail and the guy that sold it to him at least like you know walks him around and hangs out with him until it's detailed. <laughs> right. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I got a, uh, I got a, a devil's advocate question, I guess, to ask you. Perfect. Um, you make a good point because I agree with you. But in general, let's say the options are a dealership that doesn't have a process, and you can pick whatever the item is, or a dealership that has a bad process. What would you say is preferred if you were going to go in and uh, offer some? constructive criticism to turn things around. Would you rather start with no process or would you rather correct a bad process? I wrote it in my book and it's why my first book is structure and processes and not culture and leadership. Uh, I'd rather have a bad process, bad processes. uh, At least people know what to do. So, um, you know, but you don't also want to be 
micromanaging. So, you know, you've got a, a very small amount of non-negotiables. This is how you turn your deal over. This is what the, you get paid on this for. No split deals. Uh, if you know me, you know, I, I, I hate split deals. I still, I get, I don't know, 30% of the dealerships I, I am close with now have uh, decided to cancel their split deal policy. Uh, and it, I'm not like, that's a crazy thing to ask people to do. Why would I tell people to do that? I'm not, no one's paying me. I am like, it's a total gamble if I was wrong, but I know I'm right. Um, so that's a crazy process, you know, and we've even had Brian on here. That's never worked in a dealership, uh, without split deals. And he swears he had the perfect 12 commandments of split deals. And I'm just like, so you've got all these different rules. You have to sit there and go down. Everybody has to talk about them and why this deal didn't wasn't split or was split or whatnot. And you have to search the history of 72 hours. No, if you close it, you get it. You know, you've got guys standing at the front literally going, oh, man, I don't even want to work with him because Sterling had him yesterday and he's going to get half a deal. You know, that's insane. Just that alone. Just that alone. And I swear that is the 30 percent of dealers that have listened to me. Uh, that I'm close to that that was the when I tell them that and they really think about that that's the one that's like whoa you know and you create customer control and then a great question I get is uh, well then what happens this guy's going to tell him not to come on Tuesday and Thursday good (laughs) it's good that means he has customer control oh well, what if he goes somewhere else they're not going to go somewhere else They're either going to have loyalty, which most customers do. And if they have loyalty, they're going to wait for this guy. If they don't have loyalty, they're going to come back to your store and take somebody else. And that's going to happen. And somebody's going to get somebody and somebody's going to get somebody else. And that's what happens. And that's just the way of the game. That's happening anyway. And even worse stuff is happening with the split deals. Man, you get me started on split deals. Oh, man. Like if if I'm a sales guy and I got split deals in the store... I'm just going to answer all the phones and put my name in the CRM on a whole bunch of customers. Okay. And up a whole bunch of customers and maybe even just lot drop them all. Okay. And then call in sick on Saturday and on Sunday, come in with three deals. Uh, Phil, you're getting, Phil, That's how ridiculous it is. That's how, and so, so like, and, and you, and people, if they've never worked without split deals, it's like, well, isn't there a way to cheat that system? No. If you close it, you get it. So, so you, and this is my favorite example you know, you close the deal or you, or someone takes your deal and you come to me and you're like, but Phil, it's my aunt's sisters, brothers, whatever the heck. Right. Or I work with this person and you didn't close it. Yep. End of story. So that, that process is another just phenomenal process. Um, if you have split deals in your store, you are killing your managers and the people that are dealing with it when it would be really simple. Just if you close it, you get it. Um, you know, what would be funny to do is if you're a GM or GSM and you look back and look, if you do a split deal policy, which you shouldn't, but some places do, if you look back and you looked at your uh, salespeople that had the most split deals, those salespeople are working you more than they're working the customer. Um, so just keep that in mind. I mean, imagine if you had 34 split deals oh, and you're Sterling. selling 20 cars a month. Sterling, I wish I could give you a hug right now. That was such a good line. It's so true. They're working them more than they're working the customer. It's so true. They're working the system and the, the oh, it's so true. No, you want a deal, you close it. 
So, and, and I don't care how long so-and-so worked with him and he didn't close it. And this guy did awesome. This guy gets the bone, this guy gets the trophy, you know? And it's funny. A lot of people in our business, they'll, they'll speak that talk of, uh, you know, uh, that everybody gets a trophy. They don't like that. And we're all for, but we do these split deals and we do, I mean, it's, it's like, are you kidding me? And I'm all, look, you hear me talk about culture more than anything. So if this was bad for your culture, I would never promote it. This is good for the culture. This is good for the culture. It does not affect the culture negatively at all. The split deals do because every once in a while, your sales manager that doesn't like what Sterling did last weekend decides, no, I'm not putting you on that deal. And then everyone backs him up and it was somehow Sterling thinks in these 12 commandments that it was his deal and they think that it's not and this, that, and the other. And, oh, he had it in there in 72 hours. What happened? And, and everybody talks about it. Now Sterling wants to quit. It's a joke. If Sterling knows if I don't close it and I'm not there to close the deal when that person gets put into finance and then do the delivery if they're doing the deliveries, which they should be too, by the way. That's not a real product specialist system. There's dealerships that do it that way too with the delivery specialists. But if if I'm not there, I'm not going to get any of this deal. Doesn't matter if it's my mom's best friend. Doesn't matter if it's my mom. I mean, and think about that. If it's your mom, you couldn't get your mom to buy a car from you. <laughs> you didn't have customer control on your mom. So it doesn't matter who it is. So you encourage customer control. And the one objection I get back that does make sense to that is, you know, but then they're going to make sure that they don't come in and blah, 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 blah. No, they're going to have customer control. And if you're dealing with any sort of customer that you really have customer control over, they're not going to go to another dealership. They're going to go to your person. And that's what we need to be teaching anyway. It's anti-teaching customer control, this split deal thing. It's like, you don't want customer control. I'm going to get half the deal anyway if they come back and buy tomorrow. And I could be working with somebody else. And that's how you have to work the system if you're working your pay plan smart. So if I'm in a system with split deals, it's like I'm doing things that I know don't make sense. Think about that. I'm going to be working my pay plan and having to do things that way that I know don't make sense because I want to close all my customers because I want good CSI and I want that relationship. But if I know, oh, I can take this fresh deal, I know my next customer's in, give them to Sterling, and then I'm going to get half a deal. No, I need to figure out how to work both customers if I'm, or I don't have time to do it. And now I'm figuring out a way to get one and a half deal and give poor customer service. We, I can go on and on and on about this. But anyway... Uh, we've done a lot of shows on split deals. We'll continue to do them. I'll continue to beat that drum uh, until I see the whole industry get rid of it and change it and get it. And you know what? I don't want a dollar for it. Just say thank you. Just call me up and say, hey, Phil, thank you for that split deal thing, man. Well, don't you think they should have like deal thirds? Stop it, Phil. <laughs> I wanted to hug you. Now I want to smack you. Anyway, this was a great show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night. Tune in next time. Have a good night, everyone.